Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 247 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Jim and Jamie Shields about raising entrepreneurial kids and work-life balance when you're a working parent. Today's podcast is brought to you by SaneBox, Alert Communications, and Ross Intelligence. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So the Business Book Club is coming back in November. We used to do it monthly, and that got to be a little much. So now we're doing it quarterly. And I'm super excited about the next book we're going to read, which is The Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman. That's very cool. And we sent out copies of the books to all of our labsters. Yeah. So you're going to talk to Todd on an upcoming episode of the podcast, Mm -hmm. and then he's going to do a special workshop with everyone who's in lab. So we're going to get to talk to him directly and ask him questions. And I'm super excited about that. Is there a way for insiders to follow along with the book club too? Yeah. So in the Facebook group, we'll do a discussion all month long. We'll have questions and we'll make the questions such that even if you haven't read the book, you'll be able to participate. But I think it's a really cool topic and something we could all benefit from. So check out the book and follow along. Very cool. Thanks for that. You know, on the subject of work-life balance, Stephanie, I recently did something that I've been wanting to do all year, which is I finally went to the doctor to see if they could help me with anxiety. And it was all very sudden, but many of the people close to me have said, hey, Sam, we think that you are dealing with anxiety and you should take something for that. And so I went to my nurse practitioner, my general practitioner, whatever, and they sent me home with a prescription for some anti-anxiety meds. And I have to say, I don't know why I waited so long. (laughs) Yeah. It was like the kind of thing where, and everybody's body chemistry and experience is different, but like after just a couple of days, I felt so much better. It was like my anxiety had just been subtracted from me and my kids noticed, my wife noticed. I think people who I work with like you and Aaron have noticed that I'm just not carrying around as much weight as I was. Yeah, I love that. And I loved that you were just so open and willing to share that with us and like, hey, I'm doing this thing and I don't know how it's going to impact me. And I love that we just want to talk about it and normalize it because I think that it's this thing for a lot of people, right? We have all, I mean, we have anxiety about our anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I mean, I, I, I was really reluctant to do this. Like I'd I had decided back in November or December that it was my going to be my New Year's resolution. And I waited most of the year to do it. And then when I got the prescription, I was I, I cried a bit. I was I was pretty scared about it. And I don't really know why. I don't have a good explanation, but holy crap, it's been awesome. So yeah, good for you and good for you for being willing to talk about it. And if you're listening, like we're not doctors, we don't have all the answers by any means. <laughs> I definitely don't. I'm super new at this. But, you know, if anybody wants to talk about it, I'd be happy to talk about it. I'm not. I, like, I can just be a, a friendly ear to help you or share what I know. I do definitely intend to bring some experts on the podcast in the near future to talk about anxiety and depression and uh, what it looks like to get treatment and stuff, because I want to help people who have questions answer those questions for themselves. I, I should have done this a long time ago, but we're going to remedy that and make sure that we get some better information on the podcast because so many lawyers are dealing with similar things and 
you know what? You don't have to suffer is the thing that I realized. No, I love that. I was at a CLE last week and I tweeted about this because we had a wellness panel all with court of appeals judges and they had an empty chair on the stage because one of the judges that was scheduled to be on that panel and who has actually led a lot of the initiative in the nation around lawyer wellness Hmm. committed suicide last month. Um, Yeah, it was so tough. I mean, the judges on the stage were his friends and they cried and everybody, it just got real honest. And I've never been in a a CLE with 300 lawyers in the room where the, I mean, for just such a raw, honest conversation, I'm glad we're having it. And one of the things that really struck me is somebody said, we are professional poker players, right? Like our profession requires us to hide our emotions or to portray something that we're not. And I think a lot of people are suffering, but we don't even know it. I think one of the things that frustrated me when I saw a similar panel is that most of the work around mental health in the profession is around making resources available, but I don't have depression as far as I know, but I have a lot of experience with people who do, who are very close to me. And one of the things I know is that you don't ask for help. Like that's kind of a hallmark of depression is that it makes it so that you aren't going to ask for help. And so simply making resources available isn't enough. We have to rely on the people around us to reach out to us and ask us if we need help and insist that we try and get it. And having been in that position before, it can feel like you're being pushy. But, you know, sometimes you just have to keep on gently and as a friend or as a a loved one, be caring, but keep pushing because people who are suffering and dealing with depression and anxiety, I can speak for myself too, aren't always going to reach out for help because it can feel really hard. Yeah. Maybe that's, I'd love for when you bring those experts on, that should be part of the angle is training us on what to look for and mm-hmm. then what to do. You know this, in my role with our lab community, I've had people because I'm coaching them and I get, you know, we develop relationships. So I've had people tell me things about their personal life when they needed help. I've had people reach out and I felt ill-equipped in the moment. I think I did okay, but then the team immediately got me some professional help and some resources to make sure I was helping those people in the right way, which I super appreciate it. And obviously I had kept all the things confidential from you guys. I told <laughs> yeah. you, I told you just enough to like, hey, I need help with this situation, not who it was or what the specifics were. But I think we as lawyers, we need to, to your point, we need to be able to recognize it and learn how to deal with it. So let's definitely key that up. Very cool. So yeah. yeah, I don't have another call to action there, but you know, if you're wondering or or you want to know some more, just reach out to us or use the Facebook group if you're comfortable sharing. Either of those is fine. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Thomas Hamilton from Ross Intelligence and then my conversation with Jim and Jamie Shields. My name is Thomas Hamilton. I work with a company called Ross Intelligence. So we're an artificial intelligence company focusing specifically on legal research. We were founded by a team of artificial intelligence researchers out of the University of Toronto, which is really sort of the birthplace of a lot of modern AI theory, but also founded by a team of attorneys. So I'm a former attorney myself. I was doing corporate commercial work with a firm called Fraser Milner Casgrain, which was then one of the three founding firms of Denton's now known formally, depending on which continent you're on, is Chung Dentons, which is the world's largest multinational law firm. Very cool. Thanks for being with us today, Thomas. So you started out by talking about AI and legal research, and that's what we wanted to talk about today is like, how can normal lawyers employ AI in their law practices? And maybe the place to start is what does the typical lawyer need to understand about artificial intelligence in order to understand what a tool like Ross can do for them? 
Yeah. So I think the first thing uh, an attorney needs to understand with AI is there's a lot of AI hype. Mm -hmm. And really what artificial intelligence means, it's a moving target because the real definition as it's used in 2019 is basically software that does something that in the past we thought only a human could do. Gotcha. So why is that a moving target? Because what in 2019 you and I thought you know, only human could do is going to be totally different from what our grandkids think. Yep. So really when you interact with AI systems, in 2019, what you should be expecting is very powerful software that does something very well and very reliably that in the past you couldn't do or you had to do yourself. So you're going to see AI really touch on a lot of different fields. And there's, there's a lot of different tools that can help attorneys, A, with things that are very legal focused, like what we do, purely legal research. You can ask very complex questions and get good answers directly back from case law. But it could be something as simple as uh, virtual receptionist services or uh, an AI chatbot as well. Really, it comes down to technology that does something that really helps you in your practice. There's very powerful algorithms at play under the hood, but you don't necessarily need to understand that fully to benefit from AI tech in 2019. Your example that I really liked was that it's sort of like using Ross would be sort of like hiring a junior associate to do research, but instead of waiting for them to answer your question with a legal research memo in hours or days, you get the answer back in seconds. Yeah, that's exactly right. Although probably not in the form of research memo. <laughs> no. Just no, the no. answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And, and I think we focused on legal research because we knew as attorneys how time-consuming it is. Uh, we knew that often it, it's not as accurate as it needs to be. And what ultimately ends up happening is either it takes up a lot of your day and you can't bill for it, or on the flip, you do try and bill for it, but it prices a lot of clients out of even using your services. So mm -hmm. what we've done, and we have a very large team of AI engineers working on this constantly, but basically it's a tool where you sign up, it's very easy to do, and then you're able to pose questions as if you're speaking to you know, an attorney that's sort of an expert in the field or is that diligent junior associate who's going to go and do the work for you. And then based on your queries and how you're sort of pointing the AI, it's going to find passages directly from case law from the types of cases that you've really explained to be highly relevant and get you that in seconds. So it sort of transforms the legal research process from being something that's a bit of a head scratcher, uh, often a loss leader, and, and usually gets you work product you don't love. Mm -hmm. to, like you said, having that super diligent associate that comes in, you brief them, they go off and come back to you after hours with good answers. We're now taking that process from hours down to minutes. So ultimately, it's useful if it is useful and if it gets good results. So how should somebody try something like Ross out and figure out if it is a good fit for their firm and their needs? So ultimately, it's all about seeing if it adds value. So we make it extremely easy. You can just go to our website, www.rossintelligence.com. You can sign up totally for free. You don't have to put down a credit card or anything. You have totally unlimited use for 14 days. And just use it in your legal research. You know, you can even do, we like to joke, we call it the drag race. You can compare it. You can use it side by side with whatever tools you currently use. And it's on us as technologists to use our understanding of AI to make tools that you immediately get that aha moment from. When you want to show people what Ross can do, what is the search that you run? My example, I would say something like, let's see, let me think. So what is the standard for false by necessary implication advertising in New York since 2010? And then usually I'll do a motion match. I'll say I'm looking for motions for summary judgment. And I'm looking for facts involving intentional deception. That'll give you an example of sort of the sophisticated of questions you can ask mm -hmm. and just how pinpoint you're going to get in the form of the answers. So if you want to learn more about Ross, visit rossintelligence.com. The link is in our show notes. It's free to try, no credit card required. Put it through its paces and see what Ross can do for your firm. Thanks so much, Thomas. Hey, my pleasure. Take care.
Hi, I'm Jamie Shields of 18 Summers, along with my amazing husband, Jim. Hello, I am Jim Shields, uh, also co-founder of 18 Summers. We run a real estate investment company and also release the best-selling book, The Family Board Meeting. Welcome, both of you. Uh, Jim, welcome back. Jamie, welcome for the first time. You and I talked, Jim, uh, last time about the concept of 18 Summers. And honestly, you know, it's been this thing that's wormed its way into my consciousness. And I talk about it with friends who are parents all the time. You know, the idea that you have 18 years and many of them are already gone. It was a really cool podcast. Oh, good. Yeah, we. I really enjoyed it. Again, that simple math equation was my wake-up call the day my mentor said it to me. So I'm glad it's continuing to grow. It is, you know, and so my daughters are now eight and 10 and they are just the right age to start taking adventures. And so just a few weeks ago, actually, we made our first big adventure trip to South Africa and they were awesome. And it was so fun uh, to share that with them. So... What was your favorite memory of, of that trip? Uh, for myself, it was probably standing on the Cape of Good Hope or finding giraffes in the game reserve after a two-hour drive. One of those two. Oh, so cool. Can I? <laughs> I'm really excited about this because it's something that we've started to share and we didn't talk about last time. Can I make a suggestion to you? Yeah. Tonight, when you go home, sit down with your wife and your daughters and do a highlights list. Yeah. Because when you do that highlights list and then you look back even a year from now, you're like, that's right. Oh, my gosh, that's right. And now that we've been yearbooking our adventures like that and just it's, it's nothing formal, but you sit down and just write it down. It brings you right back to the moment. Yeah, and and one thing, if I could do it differently, I would go back because there were a few we didn't do that on. And you start to forget. But as soon as you write down that list, it brings you right back when you just see that one line about it. Anyway, yeah. something we've enjoyed to do. And we do that for holidays, too, or any big family adventures. And it's always funny because even like the inside jokes, like remember that mm -hmm. time Sammy pooped on you at the dinner <laughs> table? Or, you know, it could be like the silliest <laughs> things. But you remember like, oh, we all burst into laughter. And it's really about creating those memorable moments and then remembering them, right? Yeah, totally. So, guys, tell us a little bit more this time about... Um, what you do at 18 Summers. I know you do a fair amount of speaking. I think you also do coaching and consulting and you have some courses, I think. If somebody wanted to, hears us today or heard Jim before and is like, I love those concepts, but I need some help. How do you help? So our whole 18 Summers started very grassroots within our own family. We're a blended family and you know, Jim was super passionate about becoming the best partner and father. And I was in education and, and had, you know, formal education training in Waldorf and Montessori. And so we just came together and, and really started trying to do our family really great, you know, mm. and really embracing that. And as he developed a deep relationship with my boys, he came up with all this great stuff. And then he started sharing with other people. People would ask, oh, how you guys are a blended family. Wow, I would have never guessed. And so he just started sharing the family board meeting framework that he came up with and it just became, it caught on and then we wrote the book and then now we um, moved on into helping other families do the same and coaching and just making the most of the time you have, whatever that happens to be, really helping you make the most of that time with your family. And yeah, I would say our, our number one goal is simplifying. Mm -hmm. As you know, like with sometime both spouses now being involved in a business and wanting to do the best. And we're really wanting to provide the best for our family. Things can get crazy busy and complicated. And we're about bringing family back into priority position, simplifying things where you can still have the best of both worlds. You can build the career, but it can have more meaning when your family goes along with you. So our whole thing is putting predictable, reliable strategies into place to help simplify that home life. So you're enjoying it more. 
and able to be present more when you're actually in it. Thank you for that segue, Jim, because <laughs> that's what I want to talk about today. So much about the world when you have kids is built around kind of outdated concepts of what the family structure might look like, right? Like school, you got to get your kids to school super early and pick them up by two o'clock and there's after school care. But none of this is actually built for two working parents who are ambitious in their jobs, like my wife and I, and like probably many of the parents who are still listening. And it just, it feels like the work-life balance is such an additional challenge when you basically have a half an hour in the morning and two or three hours in the evening and you've got to cram it full of homework and dinner and getting ready and breakfast and maybe a quick story before bed. And how do you preserve any semblance of work-life balance when you really don't have a whole lot of choice about what you do in between those bookends? Well, and I know we both have views on this, but the one thing I have to say is you have to really give focus to the time that you have. You can't be half in. And what I call is like when you just said, you know, we get home, we maybe have, let's say, an hour with the kids, you know, where it's free time and then going into dinner, those are very important times where you yeah. can't be and you have to be all in. And, you know, you've heard us talk about intermittent tech fasting. You know, we all know about intermittent fasting, the health benefits. Now you, you know, very intentionally only eat between this hour and this hour. And it's good for organ rejuvenation, weight maintenance, health, everything. Tech has to be looked at the same way because hmm. for today's world, like you said, this wasn't even any of the books of 20 years ago. None of it was talking about this, but the fact that your clients can reach you like that, your admin can reach you like that, you get that one text, that one quick phone call, that one thread that either excites you or annoys you, you're not present. And the same thing with your children. So one of the things is we try to go all in at times that we can go all in. So that simplifies things right there. So you have to have certain, I guess Jamie would call them boundaries and benchmarks when you can do that. And you also have to look at the overall of saying, okay, if we don't have a lot of time, and we don't have a lot of time for distraction. Hmm. So we need to simplify our schedules where I can. We need to simplify our home life and home setup where we can. And then when we're going all in, we're all in. And we all do it together. So I'm not saying that your teens can never use their phone again or play games again. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be you know anarchy. There would be pure mutiny. But it's fair to say we're all going to be present during these times. So in our house, we, from six to eight, we actually recently put parameters on our children's phones, just our oldest two, uh, mm -hmm. 14, 16, have phones. And so from six to eight, none of us can access our phone. Our phones, actually, they shut down and there's just, it's a no tech time. So it's a little bit easier for, you know, myself because I'm cooking dinner, I'm handling other things. But for Jim to really be completely unavailable for work is is powerful. And it's not just that he turns it off and then he goes and does something else like read a book about work. Right. He turns it off and he is totally all in. So that's trampoline time, that's scooter time, that's family dinner. And we just really spend that time together. So it's those two hours together. Some people don't have two hours. Some people have 30 minutes. 30 minutes is amazing. Or maybe start by not bringing your phone to the table. So simple things like that that you do each day can really set the stage for connection. We also try to make sure that we have other things rhythmized so it takes the guesswork out. So we have a weekly menu. So it's an island of consistency is what I call them. It's something everyone can count on. It's what I can base my grocery list off of. It takes a lot of guesswork. So it's not like our phones go off, it's family time, and then I go, oops, what are we, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> right. Um, I already know. We know, you know, Monday, it used to be Taco Tuesday, but now it's Mexican Monday. 
<laughs> just just the way our schedules worked out. But so on Mondays, we all know we're having something that involves a tortilla, some cheese, yeah. some vegetables, you know, and, and nobody asks. I know what I've, you know, the grocery, I, I'm prepared. And so there's no guesswork. It takes a lot less time. We all come to the table. It's a time during without electronics. And so we're really making the most of that period of time that we have together. And everyone knows it, it decreases anxiety when everyone knows what to expect. It's great. When you guys say, you know, that time is to be all in, it makes it sound like that time is intense. I don't think that's what you mean, <laughs> because like part of my, you know, part of the getting home is my kids have been away for like, what, 10 hours of their day. Right. And I feel like there needs to be time for relaxing and unwinding. I think what you're saying is to free yourself up to be intentional with that time. So you're not unintentional like sitting exactly. there staring at your phone, watching TV, doing things that you haven't really decided to do. You just do them. Exactly. When I say all in, you're going all into what's in front of you, which is you're in the home with the family. Again, we encourage friendship. We encourage entrepreneurship. We encourage, you know, hitting new benchmarks in, in your goals. But like you said, to go all in, it actually means you're decompressing. Mm -hmm. All that can wait. And especially with kids. Yeah, they've been gone 10 hours. And it's showing now that we're study after study, if they're continuing to try to get the likes, continue on this thread, like they need a break too. So this is actually, when I say go all in, it's all in on relaxing and being present. Yeah. So it, it's not like an extra job. It's a decompression. I can even see it with our sons now. Their shoulders go a little lower. They're having deeper conversations with us. We're talking about planning our next adventure. But if someone always is getting onto the next little thread and saying, hold on one second, or I get called out and say, hey, this call will only take five minutes, which believe me, happened all the time, it totally breaks up flow. Yeah. And there's no relaxation. I noticed that recently with, I've noticed it with myself where like, if my attention is being pulled towards a device or a conversation, I mean, that's, that is exactly what you're talking about. But I've also noticed it, and I'm, I'm interrupting you to bring this up because I think it's really, yeah, really please. common for lawyers because I don't practice day to day anymore. So I don't have that constant tug of clients on my consciousness, but I spend a lot of time with other lawyers. And like when I run into a mom or a dad at a soccer game who is a lawyer, or when I schedule coffee or lunch with someone who's a lawyer, very often it feels like they're only half there. And it's a yeah. thing that I wouldn't have noticed before, but I notice it all the time right now. It, even if their phone isn't on the table, even if it's in their pocket, there's like this tug of things left undone and conversations that are more important than what's in front of me. And I'm sure, I mean, your kids can feel that too, obviously. Yeah. Oh, but the kids feel it 10 times as mm -hmm. much. They're more intuitive because they're more awake, aware. They're not necessarily bogged down with the things that they're going through in their different cases and it can be heavier. Mm -hmm. And what I found is though, by taking these breaks, like instead of being half there, if we'll just give ourselves permission to say, I'm just, I am completely and totally unavailable, both mentally and physically. It gives you a break. And what I've found when I've done this for me, you know, and we still, we have 18 summers. We also have a large real estate investment operation still. If I do this, I actually, and I, now I'm not available. If I have to batch some texts that have come through or batch some emails and answer them all at once, if I'm coming out of this period of connection with my family, I'm more on, I'm rejuved. I look at it now where I, I had, I tried to piecemeal answer them through those two hours or hour instead of just letting them wait and looking at them all at once and hand, handling them, I handle them much more efficiently, much more effectively, because I think I'm rested and I'm feeling, you know, regrounded. And on purpose, too. I think that you feel a sense of confidence when you come out of that as well. Yeah, and big time. And sometimes it takes reminders. There have been times when it's 
gotten broken and I've, and we've had reminders to each other saying, could that have waited five minutes? Probably (laughs) so. The answer is 90%. Yes. Yes. And I know, you know, I'm not an attorney. I have a lot of attorney friends and I know time is of the essence, but again, it's like that old Stephen Covey saying, if you'll just stop to resharpen the ax, you're going to be able to cut down the tree a lot easier. But if you're saying, no, 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 I got to keep cutting and you got that dull ax, that's what I think happens with family life. You're trying to, you're completely drawn out. You're trying to keep your brain on three different things. And again, if you'll just take these short intermittent breaks, these fasts, it, it's helpful. And it can't be once every two weeks. It, right. This fast, I'm convinced now for myself, because remember, everything we talk about, I am the test product. Like I've done it wrong. (laughs) And now I just have such a rejuvenation when I honor myself and I honor my family to have this time daily. And it is possible because we've worked some people running some big operations. And I mean, 99% has come back and said, gosh, you were right. We can take time daily. It does help. We are doing better. So I'm curious. I want you guys to get real for a minute because there's this tendency to write a book or read a book or listen to a talk where the speaker or the writer or the consultant or the coach or whatever presents a solution that sounds like, oh yeah, just do this and it'll all be fine. And the reality is it's almost always messier than that, right? You can always. you can adopt the traction, entrepreneurial operating system, whatever, but you're going to have problems with it. You know, you can use getting things done to be more productive, but there's going to be some cracks in the system. So when it doesn't work for you guys, where do the cracks show? What are the things that fall apart? So sometimes things do fall apart. So just this week, for an example, and this week has been an exceptionally busy week. I had a board meeting on Monday night and during our six to eight tech fast time, I had to be on the phone checking in, making sure the sitter got to where she needed to get in time. And Jim was off of his podcast in time. And, you know, there was all the the logistics that sometimes we get sucked into. And so I found myself in a meeting on my phone, communicating with other family members that were also not supposed to be on their phone. (laughs) So, you know, and I did, I felt like crap about it. And I thought, gosh, this is, I felt not on purpose. I felt a little guilty But I also felt inspired to then do better. Like the fact that there's any awareness at all, because, you know, the fact that we're trying, that we're striving, that we have an awareness means we're already doing a good job and a better job than we did yesterday. So I really encourage our clients that. And I try to encourage myself of that. So Monday did get a little messy. We felt a little disconnected. Nobody held, you know, but what was great was after we made sure that everybody was set and where they were supposed to be. Jim set his phone down and they all went to the beach. And so it, it, it didn't end up being two hours. It was one hour, yeah. you know? And so, so we try to just pick right back up where it fell offline. So the awareness is huge. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, I know I said this in the last one, the solution doesn't have to be as complicated as we've made the problem. All families mess up. What we talk about, and I think what everyone's finally talking about for today's world, family has never been perfect. It was never supposed <laughs> to be perfect. It's not perfect. The only perfect families are on TV for a half an hour, and it's not real life. Or your Facebook feed. Yeah, or your Facebook feed, exactly. We all know that's all real life. It's Family's all about bridging imperfections. And a couple of main things that, that I've learned, we've become very quick to apologize. And let me tell you from, you know, the old... You mean within our own family. Within our own yeah. family. You know, the Irish boxer stance, that was me probably growing up as a kid, how I was raised, that entrepreneur fight to me. You almost think as a parent or as a spouse sometimes who's working hard, you have immunity. Well, Mm -hmm. you know what? Yeah, I was short on my patience or I didn't stick to this. But you know how hard I'm working? 
And I used to say that. And what I've one of my biggest realizations now is that doesn't matter. I am not immune to an apology. And I apologize a lot. <laughs> now. And sometimes I feel that way, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what's good? Here's why it's worth it. For sometimes I've kind of overridden my lizard brain and I'll be saying, I don't want to apologize the hell with that. And I do it anyway. And I can see how quicker we come back together because everyone falls apart, but we come so much quicker back together. There's not like days and nights that go by, not in our house. We are quick to come back together, which I think is one of our secrets. And our second oldest son got in trouble for something. I forget what he did. Mouthing off doing something back or, you know, wasn't owning up to something. Our oldest son said to him, uh, Leland, you know, you have to learn to apologize. I mean, like, look at dad. He messes up all the time, but he, but he apologized. He's so quick to apologize sincerely. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, pound me up. I think, I think that was a compliment. So, but at least again, Jamie always says, be worthy of imitation. Yeah. Modeling for your children is really important and how you treat your spouse and how you treat your children continues. You know, you're setting that stage for, it's okay if I took an extra call or it wasn't part of my plan. I understand that I didn't give you the attention. You were standing right in front of me and I answered my phone or, you know, just the awareness is huge. And now that we have this controls on our phone, everybody's <laughs> watching each other. I suppose there's an element of fairness there too, right? Like I don't get to, why do you? <laughs> Transparency. Oh, yeah. Everyone, yeah. Everyone's on, on the docket there. They're all looking at it. You know, it's good. All right, guys, we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we come back. If we want to move on, I'd love to hear more about your theories for raising entrepreneurial kids, which is something I'm trying to work on, too. We'll be right back. Longtime podcast listeners and lawyerist readers know that Sam and I get pretty excited about email productivity tips, but we know that most people don't have the time or energy to be email productivity nerds like us. So it's great that SameBox will take care of fixing your inbox for you. I've used SameBox for a while now, and it automatically organizes your incoming email into smart folders so you don't have to be overwhelmed by a busy inbox and don't have to see important client emails next to junky coupon offers, distracting you from the work you need to do. Best yet, SameBox learns with you, so if you find it puts something in the wrong folder, just move it, and SameBox will automatically learn your preference. It also has nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again. It's so simple, you won't need to learn anything to use it. It just takes care of everything itself. SaneBox works directly with every single email server or service that has ever been created, so it will definitely work for you. Get a free two-week trial and a $25 credit by visiting samebox.com slash lawyerist today. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash lawyerist. A legal-only call center, Alert Communications has been helping law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake for over 50 years. Alert responds to and captures all leads for your law firm efficiently using their highly trained intake specialists and software solutions. They work 24-7, 365 as an extension of your law firm in both English and Spanish. Alert strives to set best practice standards within the mass tort legal community by using ethical ideals, in turn elevating the quality of client services and earning the trust of attorneys. To find out how Alert can increase your mass tort or class action lead conversion rates, call 844-MY-INTAKE or find them at alertcommunications.com. With Ross Intelligence, lawyers conducting legal research leverage AI to get to the heart of legal issues fast. 
Ask a query in natural language on the Ross Legal Research Platform, and Ross will return on-point case law. Attorney Jonathan Udoka says he's able to use Ross as though it were a first-year associate doing top-flight legal research. At $89 a month, Ross is not only fast and intuitive, it's also affordable. See what Ross can do. Go to rossintelligence.com lawyerist today and get a 14-day free trial. Use the promo code lawyerist for 10% off your first-year subscription. Okay, guys, we're back. So earlier you mentioned briefly that you try to work on entrepreneurial endeavors with your kids. You are both entrepreneurs a couple of times over. Obviously, I'm an entrepreneur and I'd like to figure out how to promote entrepreneurialism in my house. How can I get my kids to do stuff beyond just the lemonade stand? That's great. I think there's a couple of things that have to be done. It's it's priority and involvement. If I had to break it down into two things, we believe strongly in entrepreneurship. I think it's it's created incredible opportunities for us, incredibles for other. It saved my father's life uh, because when I was able to donate a kidney to him, I was the only entrepreneur in the family. And I was the only one with the financial resource and space to be able to do something like this. So that's I mean, that's how deep entrepreneurship goes for us. And we describe that to our children and they love their pop pop. So what we try to do is put it in priority. We are constantly playing games around entrepreneurship, like through like cash flow for kids, which is from the Rich Dad series. Great game. We're constantly reading books. You know, my sons have read more financial intelligence books than most people from huh. the Rich Dad Poor Dads to the richest man in Babylon to Napoleon Hill Think and Grow well, Rich. Secret Millionaires Club Secret, was a really fun one when they were yeah, younger. Secret Millionaires Club. Warren Buffett's little cartoon series. So, and we do this, we pick like one book or one video series that's easy to follow every 90 days. So one in the fall, one in the winter, one in the spring. And if you start slow, it starts to take root. So that's been kind of our secret is we give it a priority. We are constantly trying to drip it into them with good books, good games, good learning, and then also involvement. So it is very, very, very rare for me to go speak at an event now, whether it's for family or some sort of investor training, and at least one of my children or my wife's not there. Hmm. My family's always involved now, um, and I think that's what we started to become known for is, wow, your family's always with you. Oh, your son's always with you, because they soak it up. So I involve them in business meetings. I involve them in events that I'm speaking at. We've run family retreats where they help run the retreats. Can I ask real quick, like, when did you start doing that? What what age did it seem like it started being worthwhile to bring them along? For solo trips, you're probably looking at about 10 or 11. But if we were going as a family, you know, they started getting involved in events as, as young as six. Hmm. They sit and watch one of my short family talks, you know, at the age of six or seven. So that was with our older boys. And now our younger ones are just coming into it. I mean... We'd be nuts to bring our happy, crazy little two and a half year old in. He'd be but we have, we, have, we have we have done it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not pretty, but yeah. we've done it. But I would say, you know, we it, when you want different results, you make different actions, right? So mm -hmm. we are very involved in our children's education. So, and that's one one big thing that we talk about is really whether your children are homeschooled, private schooled, public schooled, whatever they are whatever your path is for their, you know, future, we really believe in getting involved. And I don't mean like PTO, but I mean, getting involved, like playing those games, finding fun ways to integrate that entrepreneurial education and that mindset. We also allow our children to take risks, which uh, you have girls, I'm not sure how risky your girls are, 
our boys are super risky, our big boys. So as a mom who never took a risk as a child, it is uncomfortable for me when our boys want to do things like jump off of bridges in foreign countries and mm-hmm. into water, there's into a, water, of water course. There. <laughs> but they do these like wild things and they make me so uncomfortable. But I have to remind myself, you know, and I look and of course it's like a calculated risk, but if I want them to, I want them to be get high off of things like that, not Mm -hmm. off of drugs, not off of negative relationships, not off of, and again, modeling comes so much into that. You know, the, the relationship that Jim and I have, the relationship that we have with our family members, with our friends, and we're super honest too. Like if there's something that's not going right, we're able to say, Oh, today was really stressful. Dad and I just sat in a four hour accounting meeting and things are fine, but today was rough, Mm -hmm. you know? Sorry if I'm a little short. And so we just really try to educate them and get their mind thinking in all of the different ways, you know, and in and, and the books that Jim's talking about financially or personal development, they're engaging. They're, they're books made for young entrepreneurs, you know, the... Which um, is important because I didn't even decipher that. So, you know, Sam, when we do this, we read the book slowly with them. Yeah. So they're not, it's not read this book and write a one page summary (laughs) because although that's okay, normally what they're looking to do, if you, if you set that, even if you say, and I'll pay you a hundred bucks, we know people that did that. It means they're just trying to get through, get something on paper. They're not really, it's not really digesting. So, but what we do is we read about a chapter a week. So the, the book takes a while to read and everyone's busy, but if everyone can handle 10 to 15 pages a week, and then we discuss it and it's in the discussion that the lesson really takes hold. Absolutely. And we give personal examples from our own life. Uh, Way of the Warrior Kid was a really good one because it was fun and, and active. And I would say a 10-year-old could easily oh, read that. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Jock, hmm. Jock, it's Jocko Wilkins, the, uh, the Navy SEAL. Cool. Have you heard yeah. of him? Yeah. So I'm that's just one. But I'm, but I'm writing these down. Yeah. There's a lot <laughs> of them that are, that are geared toward young entrepreneurs. And I really think, you know, that main key is just integrating them into your own life, showing them, here's what I do. I work my ass off, but I get to do a lot of things that other people don't get to do. And I get to enjoy working my ass off, if that makes any, you know, the kids are yeah. like, that's a hard idea because like you said, family looks different. Work life looks different than it ever has before. And you can enjoy your family and you can enjoy your work. I'm curious, have your kids started their own companies or their own endeavors in an entrepreneurial way? Our older one has, he's done a couple of different businesses from, he had a chicken egg business to he side hustles Christmas trees at Christmas time. Mm. He is now starting to go YouTube and his, his goal is become a charter fisherman. He loves fishing and he has a mentor from our things who's making a ton of money taking out NFL players and living the life of unbelievableness in the Keys. So he's starting to do that as well. So they're he's tried a couple different things. Like he's super passionate about animals and he's always volunteered. That's another thing. Volunteerism with your children. Huge because everything from serving the homeless on uh holidays to building houses to all our oldest had a huge passion for animals. And so he would go walk dogs and pet cats once a week at the shelters. But through that interaction at the shelters, he realized that he wanted to start a business that involved animals. Well, for our zoning and where we lived and all the research he did, he could raise chickens and sell eggs. And he loved it at first, but then the chickens started like getting out and tearing up the neighbor's yard. And then they only lay, (laughs) they only lay half of the year. And then he realized he still owed us all this money. And 
if he wanted to pay us back in eggs, it would take the next 12 years or whatever, you know. But, <laughs> that sounds like a great collection of lessons to learn, though. <laughs> an egg business, chicken egg, that it's a great first business. And we actually have another friend whose child started their own chicken business based off of Alden's. And so that was neat. And then he got super passionate about fishing and got his uh, fishing license and bought his own boat and did some of that. And, you know, we've really been hands off. So whatever they're interested in, we agree to yeah. and we watch and we are hold you investors we, we are were, investors we were investors and he he lost on the one business and and had to pay us back and so it's not about the money it's about the lesson right because he's not going to take a loan from a bank to start a business in the bank go, oh it's okay don't worry and give him a hug and go away and then say that we have if we can set these small lessons now he builds the muscles for later and that's been the whole goal and if i can suggest anything to people listening this is not a competition. No. I understand people want you want to have your child in Entrepreneur Magazine by the age of 13 or 14. <laughs> that they've done this. That, I, I get it. But what I've seen a lot when people have come to us for consulting or even our retreats, the kid has, quote unquote, started a business. Well, really, it's been the parent pushing them into a business, right. trying to get them to do it. They don't want to do it. The parent is basically pulling in all their resources and handling it all and saying it's the kid's business. No terrible idea. Yeah, because what really needs to happen is they need to fail. Like yes, it, it yes. should and fail. Almost, and, yes. and, to, and to make their own choices. If I'm always picking, you should do this, you should do mm-hmm. this. How do they get a time to really see what they like? Because whether we want to admit it, our kids are their own people. They might not want to be educators or real estate investors or lawyers. And that's okay. Right. Like if I had tried to program my son, like he is an incredible fisherman. I mean, he is... The stuff he's doing, his mentor is called the Fish Whisperer, and he's like, he's incredible. And there's guys doing really well. I would have never picked that, or I would have said, oh, gosh, how is he going to get into an Ivy League school with that? Or, no, you have to take over the real estate business, son. Those days, as we said, the old ways are not working <laughs> with family. If you'll just give a little trust and, and instill those values, we're just seeing some cool things develop for our family and the ones that we've been coaching. But it takes some trust. Like one of our mentors said, your job as a parent, if you want to go into the entrepreneurial realm, is to identify a spark of enthusiasm and dump gasoline on it and set it on fire. Like you're not that. going to do the push-ups for them, but you're going to give them the space to go into it, even if it's not something you wanted to do. You can facilitate that there space. Is, yeah. Yes. How about next steps? If somebody's listening and they're like, yeah, I do want to have an entrepreneurial kid, what is the next thing that they should do over the next week or months in order to try and change the way they do things to promote that? Books? I think just as um, Jim was saying, it's really, it's a process. It's not something that you're like, next week, we're going to start our own business. And here's <laughs> boot camp. It is something that builds, you know, you might have that natural fire, but as you, you know, like Jim said with us, we do one book a quarter and sometimes we take a quarter off. So one book or one course. So we've done a mindfulness course, a meditation course with the boys We've done Wim Hof. <laughs> We've done all sorts of neat stuff. And then and then one book. And we just do a real, what we call deep dive, slow digest. So we do that one chapter a week. We meet together. We really talk about it. We give examples from our life. And honestly, it, it's got us reading more because we're reading what we're already reading and then we're reading what they're reading. But so it really gives you a place to start and it opens up different conversations. You can also find good games. You know, you could some of the ones we mentioned, you could also probably Google, you know, games for young entrepreneurs. I think there's for sure. even more out there that that we've yet to discover. But that's what's so exciting is that now that we're 
you know, seven years into this journey, we'd look and go, wow. And actually Jim forgot about a business that we had, uh, karma <laughs> chips, karma <laughs> chips. We started, we were eating a ton of corn chips and guacamole. And we were like, gosh, we've got to do something other than all this corn. So the boys went into the kitchen. We created these like chips out of just seeds, uh, flax, flax seeds, seeds and chia, chia seeds. seeds. Really they healthy. were like living. So we called them karma chips and they killed it at the farmer's markets. Like oh, everything was awesome every single time. But you know what? Chips aren't very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I often think the best businesses are not very sexy. Are not, and which, which we were teaching them, but at, at seven and nine, mm-hmm. and they go back to that. And we said that saying, you know, it's, it's not always about excitement. It's about yeah. something you enjoy and something that's predictable, mm-hmm. but it was a good one. It was a good one. And you're filling discussion. a need, right? Yeah. So that's another conversation we've had with our children is, you know, that they learned that from that secret millionaires club. I, yeah. I do think from that lesson, like what is, what do the people need? And the well, karma chips was a need for, for someone like your daughter's age. Mm-hmm. I would go on the secret millionaires club. We found, we learned it from, I think that was from the Coleman's very good friends of ours, part of the MMT community. They said, Hey, check this out. And we loved it. It's free. It's a Warren Buffett video series, but and you can also print them and make comic books out of them. Can, I mean, oh, it's not. Oh. And the, the secret here, Sam, start with one. Just one, because if you put in front of your kids, hey, I want you to learn entrepreneurship. Here's the 50 book list and the 17 courses. They're going to be like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) what did I do to deserve this? Start with one and say, hey, this is a book. If it's not fun, it's going to fail. So exactly. Yeah, that's why I like games and going slowly through a book. And they like to be able to have conversations and teach you. Mm -hmm. So our boys, I always say, what did you learn in this chapter? Explain to me. Oh, that's a good point. They get such a rise out of uh-huh. teaching me uh, as I'm sitting there listening. So if you're willing to commit and pick one book or one game or one video series like that Secret Millionaires Club, that's the starting point. We all want to get to where the kids in Entrepreneur Magazine, which honestly shouldn't matter. <laughs> but, you know, if you'll just start with one and you yourself will commit to be side by side with them, that's the starting point. That's what can get you out of the gates. Jim and Jamie, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, diving deep on parenting, which I think is the first time we've ever done a parenting episode on the podcast. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Hopefully it helps your whole tribe. We appreciate you guys having us. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me, and let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm-hmm.